Are you expectant, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. All right. How many of you have been enjoying the series? It's been running so far for two weeks. I think this is the third week on gifts and callings. Is God speaking to you? All right. So this morning I'm going to be sharing with you on the subject, maximizing your gifts and calling. Maximizing your gifts and calling. How many of you know that it's one thing to know your calling, it's another thing to maximize it? It's one thing to know your calling, it's another thing to, to maximize it. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people are known because of what they can do. They're not known for what God has supernaturally endowed upon them to do. Can I say that again? A lot of people are known for what they can do. How many of you know that you can cook? How many of you know that everyone in this room, as long as you've got a voice, can sing? We can sing. We can all sing. We can. How many of you know that many of you in this room can drive? But there's no Lewis Hamilton here. You see, you will not be known by the world based on what you can do. You'll be known by nations based on what God has supernaturally endowed you to do. And that's why we have to figure out what our calling is. Because when God calls you, he equips you. When God calls you, he gives you the resources that you need to establish his kingdom all over the world. Amen? So we're going to start off by looking at 2 Timothy, and that's our passage today. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1. And look how he starts. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. So he knew who he was. He knew his calling. He described himself, not as a title, but he described himself based on his calling. Many of us describe ourselves too much based on our profession. Your, prof your profession isn't always your calling. Just because you spent six years studying accounting and you're a CA, doesn't mean you have to go around to every single person you meet and say, Hi, my name is Susie, I'm a CA. Hi, I'm Susie, I'm a CA. Hi, I'm a CA. Apart from the fact that it annoys the people around you, it's not actually your calling, it's your profession. Do you know that there are a lot of kingdom financiers, people with the gift of giving in this nation, great entrepreneurs, but they haven't defined themselves based on their profession. They've defined themselves based on their calling. So they'll say, I'm a business person. I happen to have a background in accounting, but I'm a business person. I'm a kingdom financier. And God is calling us in this hour to begin to define ourselves based on who we are in God, not on how many years training we had doing a particular degree. We've all got fancy degrees that we were quite proud of, past tense. But I've learned that where I'm most useful today, it's not always based on everything that I studied. Often it's based on what I'm currently studying. Amen. Often when I do workshops, I say to people, how many of you went to university for the very thing you're doing right now, the very job you're in right now? Few hands go up. I say, how many of you are doing something that you weren't trained academically to do? Lots of hands go up. 
Are you feeling me this morning? Lots of hands go up because there's on the job training and so much of what you learn in life is learned when you pick someone's brain sitting around a dining room table. Amen? So you look at people you admire and you say, wow, that guy's amazing. They were just born on the right side of the railway track. They were born the right color. They were born the right gender. No. They're doing what they were called to do, what God has supernaturally endowed them to do. Amen. And they're spending most of their time doing that particular thing. And because they're spending a lot of time doing that particular thing, they're getting better at it because they're a faithful steward of the gift. How many of you know that gifts have to be stewarded? And how many of you know that your effectiveness in your area of gifting is determined by how well you steward the gift? What is a steward? Someone who takes care of that which is not his own. How many of you know that your gift is not your own? Your gift is not your? Whenever someone says, I am so gifted, my question then is for who? Oh, I speak so nicely. To who? Oh, I sing in such a wonderful way. For who? Your gift will always be directed to someone or something else, not yourself. Amen? Amen. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. There's so much there. Your calling is not based on your own idea. That's why we don't make up our callings. We discover our callings. We don't make up our callings. We do what? We discover our callings. God calls us and we discover that which he's called us for and to. Amen? And so it's interesting here because I see a lot of people who call themselves apostles, who call themselves prophets, but it's not by the will of God. It's because that's the popular thing. It's because that's the thing that will make them respected by other people. Amen? So the thing you feel called to, are you saying it because that's where the money is? Are you saying it because you're controlled by the spirit of mammon to make your decisions? Or are you saying it because I am this by the will of God? And how many of you know that God's will is always linked to God's command? Whenever God has a will, he instructs you according to his will by a command. So God then says, it is my will that Tracy Joy Yamuda is a prophet to the nations. That's also a command. Remember I showed you a couple of weeks ago, it's the word kaleo. That's the word call. And it's an invitation. He's saying, come, come and do this. But you see, it's also automatically a command in the heaven's courts. Because what happens, and the Lord was showing me this, that when he says, I am calling Tafi to be a... It's not a secret. Sometimes because we keep our callings to ourselves and we don't talk about them, we think no one else knows. I'm telling you, heaven knows. Because you see, when God says, I'm calling Tracy Joinyamuda to be a prophet to the nations, it's announced in heaven. And there's angelic activation because the angels need to know what their assignment is. I shared with you the other week that for every calling, there's an assignment. And so he activates angelic assistance on your behalf. So heaven has to know your calling. Is everyone following? 
Your calling is not a secret in heaven because heaven's resources are made available. When you say, I'm a kingdom financier, how many of you know that heaven has to know that in order to assist you in your business, in order for wealth to come your way? Amen? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So your calling must be aligned to the life that is in Christ Jesus, not separate from that. Okay? So the principle we get here is that you are called by God's will and command. Right? Your calling is not a suggestion. Yeah, God suggested to me that if I want to be an apostle, I can be. He just suggested, it was a nice, cool idea. He told me in my quiet time. Uh-uh. It's not a suggestion. It's his will. Your calling is something in God's mind. It's something he thinks about a lot. Your calling is not something that you fabricated. Amen? Sometimes you find that if people admire a certain pastor and the gifting on that pastor becomes the culture in a church, then everyone wants to be that particular thing. So if the person leading a ministry is an evangelist, then everyone thinks like, so I must also be an evangelist because that's the cool thing. Because it's in your value system. Yeah? If there's a pastor who's a teacher of the word, writing lots of books and so on, then it's like, yeah, that's the thing. You're not a real Christian unless you've written a book. Our callings are different. Amen? I like what Mark Twain said. He said, the two greatest days in a person's life are the day they were born and the day they found out why. The day they were born and the day they found out why. When you come to a place in your life, when you understand why you were born, everything changes. Please say to the person next to you, do you know why you were born? Being born is the easy part. Knowing why is the more difficult part. Everything in your life will change when you know why you were born. When people start businesses, what's the first thing they do? What's one of the first things to do when you're starting a business and you're dreaming about it? Raison d'etre, reason for existence. Any French speaking people here? Raison d'etre, reason for being, reason for existence. You sit down and you say, what's our reason for existence? When you do that as an individual, everything in your life changes. Your timetable changes. Your schedule changes. Who you associate with changes. When you know your reason for existence. Amen? What you say no to changes. It's easy for you to say no to certain things because you know that, no, that's not what I was born to do. Amen? We're going to go deeper. You see, at some point in your life, you realize that your life must be lived for a higher purpose. If you look throughout scripture, whether it's Moses, whether it's Joseph, whether it's David, at some point in their lives, they came to this understanding that I've been called, I've been born for a higher purpose. How many of you have had that moment in your lives? How many of you can raise your hand and say, you know what, there was a moment in my life where the Lord spoke to me in whatever form and I realized there's a higher purpose to my life and I know what it is. 
Keep your hand up. Those of you, raise your hand. Don't, you won't get in trouble. It's okay. If your hand is down, it's fine. That's why we're doing this series. All right. I want to ask those of you who've raised your hands, how is that thing, think of that thing that God said, how is it reflected in your daily schedule? Amen. Just think about that. Let's go a little bit deeper. There's a difference between your natural talent and your gift. The principles are very similar. So that a lot of the principles that we're talking about, you can apply to your natural talent and to your gift. A lot of them, not all of them. But I want you to know this morning, there's a difference between the way God supernaturally endows something upon someone and how someone is naturally gifted. Very often your natural talent, it's something you inherit, isn't it? You hear people saying like, oh, this guy is so good at maths, just like his grandfather. He's got his grandfather's math skills. Amen. Oh, this guy is so talented in sports. Now, here's the difference. Here's the difference. You can be talented at something but hate it. You can be talented at something but what? Yes. You can be talented at something but hate it. You can also be talented at many things. So how do you fulfill your calling if we're saying that you have to do what you are naturally talented in? You can't do all the things, can you? It's like trying to chase two rabbits. What happens when you try to chase two rabbits? You don't end up catching either of them. Amen? So you can't do in life every single thing that you're talented in. That should liberate some of you right now. Because some of you feel guilty because you're like, but I'm talented in this, I'm talented in this. And some of you cross over. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are good at sciences and also at the arts and, and you think, but surely God has called me to everything. Now, life operates in seasons. So sometimes you have a season for this and then a season for that. But have you ever had a child who's very good at all the sports? They can't do everything. Amen? They cannot do everything. So you're not called to do everything that you're good at. That should liberate some of you right now. Amen. But you are called to do what God has supernaturally gifted you in. That's the difference. And here's how you often know, and we're going to go deeper into this in subsequent weeks, but here's how you know. Very often the thing God graces you to do, the thing God makes grace available for you to do, you will feel fulfilled while you're doing it. You will feel energized while you're doing it. There are times when my wife is feeling sick in her physical body, but then when she has to teach, she'll say to me, while I was teaching, I couldn't feel anything. I felt better. And then afterwards I got sick again. And we talk about it because that's the anointing. You are doing what you're anointed to do. And for that moment in time, while we believe in God for the complete healing, as the power of God was flowing through you, sickness, pain could not touch you. Are you following this morning? My question to you is, what has God supernaturally endowed you to do? And so while you're doing it, you are energized. It makes you feel strong. You see, when you're doing the thing that you're called to do, there's a grace to do it. When you're doing the thing that you're called to do, grace abounds, not just for you, but for the people around you. Amen? When you're trying to do something just because you can do it, often you find yourself straining. 
Often you find the people around you, there's animosity around you because they're like, yeah, but do it like this. Yeah, but you're not doing it properly. Yeah, but hey, why do I have to do it? But no one is thanking me for it. When you're doing something that God has supernaturally gifted you to do, very often you're not even worried about appreciation from man. Have you noticed? Because you enjoy it so much. Because there's a divine enablement to do the particular thing. So when we're talking about various gifts, what we're going to do is we're actually going to do a spiritual gifts test. And at the end of this service, I'm going to ask you if you want to do it and if you think you are going to do it, because I don't want to waste the booklets. I've got about 150 here. But if you want to get one, please come directly to me, then I'll give it to you. There are 114 questions here. And you'll be able to see what your primary spiritual gifts are. How many of you would like to do that? Okay, it's a whole booklet. We're giving it to you. It's free. There's no charge. I know some of you are used to going to places where everything, you know, there's a charge for everything. Okay? Right? So there are a lot here. There's the, there's the word of wisdom. There's um, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And we're mainly talking about public tongues. Uh, teaching, shepherding, prophecy, miracles, the working of miracles. Right? Um, the gift of mercy, gift of leadership. The word of knowledge, and you'll see all the definitions are here. Interpretation of tongues, ministry of helps, gifts of healing, giving. Those of you who are called to be kingdom financiers, what goes with that is the gift of giving. Amen? You're always looking for opportunities to give, right? No, we're not talking about just basic generosity. We're talking about the gift of giving, right? Um, the gift of faith. Right, evangelism, encouragement, discerning of spirits, apostleship, and administration. Right, and you'll see what your top three are. And I would encourage you if you look scripturally, we need to align our involvement in the church based on how God has gifted us. Amen. There are times in a church plant situation where you'll just do whatever needs to be done, but as time goes by, we want gift oriented ministry. Is that making sense? Where people are rightly positioned. Can I hear an amen? amen? The other thing to understand about gifts is two people can be gifted in the same way. So two people can have a teaching gift, but it manifests uniquely for each person. Do you know that your gift mix, there's no one else in the world with the same mixture of gifts as you. You see, someone can be called to be a teacher of the word, but the one person enjoys teaching kids in a small group setting and the other one enjoys being on TV and teaching the whole world. Amen? The mistake we make is we assume that, oh, because I'm a teacher of the word and you're a teacher of the word, I have to do it exactly like you do. And I have to have exactly the same style as you do. How many of you know that you can listen to someone who speaks like this and reads their notes, but their revelation is so powerful and they're very structured in the way they speak and you're so blessed? How many of you have experienced that? I listen to some guys and their style is very monotonous and so on, but there's a grace there and they make complex things simple to understand. Teach off the word. Then you have other people who preach with their whole being, who run up and down an auditorium as they're preaching and everyone is screaming and jumping up and down and you're kind of like, what, what is that? <laughs> They're speaking, they're talking, but the gift of teaching isn't there because the person is maybe an evangelist. So after they've said the thing and you're trying to see like, okay, do I feel full now? Do I feel nourished? No. 
And then they do an altar call and 150 people come forward. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the person is an evangelist who talks a lot. Let's go a bit deeper. In verse 2 it says, To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I find this amazing. Let me continue. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy that's an extremely powerful couple of verses there whatever you're called to will always have a relational connection Paul the Apostle didn't just say I'm a wonderful great Apostle in isolation he was this wonderful great apostle and look at the relationship he had with Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. The people you've grown to care about, the people you are called to, are you remembering them night and day? You see, it's one thing to be gifted, it's another thing to have the right platform. You see, Paul could say, I'm an apostle, but only limit his apostleship to Rome. But he was called to a wider sphere of influence than just Rome. Amen? And what is interesting here is that when you are called, you are called to people and you are called to have a relational connection. Whether you're a teacher of the word, you can't say, oh, I love teaching, except for the classes, classes with people. Oh, I don't like people, but I love teaching. They will always be a what? There will always be a relational dynamic to what you're called to because God loves people. Amen? And I see it it's, it's very interesting the relationship that was there between Paul and Timothy. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you. When God has called you to certain people, often you just long to see them so that I may be filled with joy. What group of people out there have you been called to and those people are people who fill you with joy? How many of you know that if you're called to be a teacher, but a teacher out there, not necessarily in the church, but you've got the gift of teaching and you're called to teach and equip entrepreneurs starting out in their business, you will just have a sense of like, oh, these guys just fill me with joy when I see them and I see how they're developing their businesses. It fills me with joy. But if you are called to the church in particular to teach the people of God, when you see people looking at you and learning and sending you emails saying, my life has changed because of how you've equipped me it fills you with joy amen some of you have realized your calling some of you have discovered your calling some of you have come to know your calling but you've chosen the wrong platform for it amen it's like the person who says I know I'm called to teach corporate leaders so I'm going to start a blog but you can't write. Now you can learn to write, but ask yourself, has God gifted me in that particular arena? 
Or maybe what you should be doing is coaching people and talking to them one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three because you're very good in small groups and you're very good at talking and listening. Amen? So as we get a revelation of what God has called us to, let's understand, He gives us a message. Then he works on our character, but he also gives us a voice on the right platform. What's your platform? You see, love must be the bridge through which your gifts flow. And you can see here, Paul is going to say a number of things. Just in a moment, he says a number of things to Timothy around gifting and calling. But you can see there's love that's flowing through his heart. Love is the what? It's the bridge through which our gifts flow. In Galatians 5 verse 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, say to the person next to you, the only thing that counts. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through. So what happens when faith is not expressing itself through love? Doesn't count. Amen. The only thing that counts from God's perspective is faith expressing itself through love. And what's happening today is there's a lot of talk about faith, but it's not always expressing itself through love. And I want to encourage you because there are things that will harden your heart and hinder your calling. There are things that short circuit the anointing. The anointing is the power of God flowing in and through you. And one of those things is a hardened heart. How many of you know that ministry can harden your heart? How many of you know that a boss who's not great toward you can harden your heart? How many of you know that family dynamics can harden your heart? How many of you know that relational conflict can harden your heart? And what happens is that you end up short-circuiting the flow of the anointing in and through you. And so we see something powerful here because he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now when you look at this passage about tears, about longing to see Timothy, about Paul's heart being filled with joy. These were dudes, guys, Mensa, right? But look what is happening. I want to ask you a question. How many men do you know that can speak to each other like this? How often do you say, oh, Kwaila, I'm really missing you. I am looking forward to us traveling together to the Val this, this weekend coming up. It, I'm, it'll fill my heart with joy just to connect with you. Guys don't talk to each other like that. Because we start thinking like, e, you know, guys might think, you know, <laughs> things about me. But you know what? The Bible tells me about the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. And it's interesting because he's the one who described himself that way. <laughs> right? In a revelation of the love of Jesus. But it's interesting because it says that he laid his head on Jesus' chest. There was affection. There was emotion. We have to get back there in the church. Amen? My question to you also is, to whom are you called? Think of the people God has called you to. For some of you, it's broken women. You're a teacher of the word, but to broken women. You're an encourager. You work with the gift of encouragement, but to broken women. To whom are you called? What's the relational dynamic between you? 
Do you constantly remember them in prayers? Do you long to see them? Does that fill you with joy? This is the joy of walking in your calling. How many of you know that God wants you to enjoy life? Say it please to the person next to you. God wants you to enjoy life. Now don't take that out of context. Don't go afterwards to some dubious place and say, the pastor said God wants me to enjoy life. I'm enjoying. All right. God wants you to enjoy life and you enjoy life when you're walking in your calling. When you're walking according to how God has wired you. Amen. Let me say something else just to bring clarity. Very often you'll find your natural talents will open a door for you so you can use your supernatural gift. There are people I know who are naturally talented as singers, but they're called as a prophet. There are people I know who are naturally talented as musicians and they can play piano really well, but they're called to be kingdom financiers. God can sometimes use your natural talent to open a door for your gift to be used. Where people won't always call you for your gift, but they'll call you for your talent. Amen? And that's why it's important to be able to develop both and not to confuse the two. Amen? Number three. So number one is, you are called by God's will and command. Number two, your calling is never isolated from relational connection. Number three, spiritual resources can be passed down generationally. Spiritual resources can be passed down what? They can be passed down generationally. You become a partaker. The Bible says you are partakers of this grace. Based on association, based on mentorship. Spiritual resources can be passed down what? Generationally. We were praying at Ignite against generational patterns, breaking generational patterns. It was very powerful, wasn't it? Right? But often we focus on the negative stuff that might be passed down and we forget about the good stuff. And yet in scripture, the Bible tells us very clearly that what? He'll, he'll bless down a thousand generations to those who love him. There are good things that can be passed down. Amen? Are your children, both spiritual children, biological children, are they benefiting from the good stuff God has placed in you? Look at the scripture. It's very powerful. He says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I'm reminded of your what? Sincere. sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So faith that is sincere can be passed down. So if faith that is sincere can be passed down, my question is what else can be passed down? What else can be passed down? And my question to you is, are you in a position to receive your inheritance? How many of you know that you have physical inheritance, but you also have spiritual inheritance? Some people say, well, where was Timothy's dad in the scene? Some people say his dad wasn't saved, his dad was a heathen. Some of you are single moms here, you can still pass things down to the next generation. Amen. Amen. 
because it's talking about women who pass things down here. It's talking about Lois. It's talking about Eunice. Last time I checked, those are girls' names, right? I don't know any guy called Eunice. Plus he says your mother. How many moms here? Some of you moms have developed a mindset where you abdicate what you can pass on spiritually and you're like, it's my husband's job and you become passive. But when I look in history, I see what Susanna Wesley did for her children, John and Charles and the other kids. When I look in scripture, I see that this sincere faith passed down. Come on, we're going to August, right? Women's month, right? Passed down from Lois' grandmother, from Eunice's mother, to this chap here, Timothy. Then he says, I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul identifies a spiritual quality of faith that was passed down generationally. For some, it is a heart to intercede. You hear people saying, you know what? Um, I just love prayer. I just love prayer. Ooh, prayer and fasting, fasting. You know, met someone the other day who said, I love fasting. Who loves fasting, okay? But there's some people who do. But I can tell you right now, it was passed down from somewhere. You don't just wake up in the morning and like, I love fasting. I don't feel like food, guys. It's a discipline that is learned through someone who mentored you. Amen? And so you hear people say, saying, where did you learn how to pray? And you hear people saying, hey, my grandmother. Oh, my grandmother. Everything we did, we just had to pray. Oh, every pray, pray before we eat. We think we're just saying grace, but it's like an intercession meeting, right? <laughs> there are things that pass down. And one of the things we've decided, my wife and I, is often we'll go to our own closet, as it were, to pray. And when the kids want us, we're like, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. But we're realizing that sometimes we have to expose our children to our spirituality. And not just pray baby prayers when we're doing devotions with them. But if we want to pass on the life of God, if we want to pass on a sincere faith, it's important for us to rub off on them when we're doing the real thing. Not the dumbed down version. Amen. For some people, it's your heart to intercede that was passed down to you. For others, it's your ability with money and investments. Maybe you lived with a particular uncle who was good that way and something was passed down. Some of you lived, I, I think of Lysias. I think of his value system in terms of generosity. And you know where it comes from? He says, you know what? My mother was always like that. She would just take anyone in to our house. So that's what we were brought up with. And praise God, he's got a wife who also thinks in the same way. Amen? Because I don't know if it'll be a problem if his wife wasn't on the same page. But he told us, he says it was something that was passed down. My question to you this morning is, what have you got in you that was passed down by mentors? What have you got in you that you got even here? How many of you know that gifts are imparted very often? Gifts are what? Many of you in this place didn't prophesy before you came here. Let's be honest. Many of the people who've been in the band while my wife was present in the band with her, her prophet's mantle, almost everyone in the band is prophetic. The interesting thing is they weren't all prophetic before they came here. Are you following what I'm saying? 
There are certain things that are what? That are imparted. Watch this. Watch this scripture. Because we see things in scripture. And then when it comes to everyday life, we don't like to apply them. Because we're proud. Ah no, this is my thing. No one gave me this. This is my thing. Straight from heaven. I'm a self-made man. And your flesh is there boasting. Doing the running man. Yay! Right? Watch this. You see, I'm, I'm asking you this, these questions. What has been passed down to you by your natural and spiritual parents? You see, mentorship and spiritual parenting will fast track you in maximizing your gifts and your calling. When it comes to mentorship, there's the career function of mentorship and the psychosocial function of mentorship. So what do mentors do? A mentor will stretch you. A mentor will give you challenging assignments to do. A mentor will sponsor you. I'm not meaning financially, but in the workplace, for example, those of you being mentored, how do you get sponsored by a mentor? The mentor is always singing your praises. The mentor is always saying, ah, to me, yeah, no, get to me to do that. She'll do a great job. Seriously, she will do it. And doors are opened for you by mentors. My question to you is, who's doing that for you right now? Because that will maximize your calling. You see, it's one thing to say, I'm called by God. But in order to function in your calling and purpose, very often God will make you interdependent with other people, on other people who will come in and activate your calling. And the enemy's strategy is to always bring division in those relationships or a spirit of independence where you're like, I'm my own person. I don't need anyone to activate what God has called me to do. God will just do it himself. God in his divine wisdom makes us interdependent. Amen. He makes us interdependent. I can't do what I'm called to do by God on my own. You can't do what God has called you to do on your own. We need each other. Amen? I can't do the books I'm doing as fast as I'm doing it without the help of the people helping me with the editing, with the transcribing, with the design work. Amen? What I find interesting about great mentors is they believe in you. I like the way Paul speaking about Timothy says, I'm persuaded that sincere faith that was in your grandmother and your mother, I'm persuaded it's in you also. Mentors do what? They believe in you. They believe that ah, you can do it. Who are the people around you who believe in the calling of God in your, on your life? How many of you know that we have to surround ourselves with people who have a vision for our lives? Yes, you must have a vision for your own life, but there are some people who stretch that vision. Where they'll come to you and they'll say, but you could be doing more. This is what I see in you. So how far? Amen? The mistake some of you have made and why you're not walking and maximizing your purpose and your calling is because you've surrounded yourself with people who are doubters and haters. Can we go there? People where they laugh at you when you say, I'm going to start a church now. People who laugh at you when you say, I want to write a book also. People who laugh at you when you say, I'm going to preach to that other congregation over there. Or I'm going to speak and teach and encourage people in the schools. And they say, but will that get you money? Haters. 
haters. <laughs> Amen. Paul believed in Timothy. He believed in the call of God on Timothy's life. I have many people who come to me and I see them, I counsel them, I coach them, and I believe in them. And some of them will go to another church and the pastors, don't, they can't see anything in them. And they'll come and they'll actually say, yeah, but okay, here, I feel so charged up and I feel so, I'm like, yeah, go, but serve faithfully in your church. Yeah, but you know, with the thing that I do and that I'm called to in our church, our church doesn't believe in it. There's some of those cases. So I'm like, why are you going there then? You feel like you're called to go to Durban. Your church is going to Merritt's. It's somewhere else completely different. Your church is going to the Northwest. So why are you going to Durban? Amen? Find people around you who believe in what God has placed in you. They will help to draw it out and they will remind you of your destiny. They'll help to do what? They'll help to draw it out. One of the key things you'll see about giftings and callings, that's the enemy's strategy, is for you to forget about it. So while we're here in church, you'll say, I'm called to this, I'm called to this. The moment you leave, you forget about it. That's one of the enemy's strategies for you to forget about your calling. Find people who will always remind you of who you are in God. Amen? People who relate to you accordingly. People will always be saying, but there's more, my sister, there's more. People, when you are giving a testimony, saying, then I did this, praise God, hallelujah, all the glory to Jesus, and I did this. And then they say, but I'm not that impressed because I thought you'll be doing 10 times more than that now because I know what's in you. Amen. There are caps that people place on you. How many of you know that when Jesse, David's father, when he forgot that he even had this son out looking after the sheep, when Samuel the prophet came and said, let's see who we're going to choose to be king. How many of you know that there's a cap that Jesse had placed on David where the mindset was, this is all you will be. And how many of you know that today there are caps that people put on you? You know what I mean by a cap, right? I'm not talking about a hat. There are caps that people put on you that, ah, you know what? Uh, this, this, this sister of ours, Malope, I think this is where you, ah, ah, yeah. People like you, people from where you're from. Yeah, no, this is your level, my sister. Just be humble and just stay there for the rest of your life. There are caps that people place on you sometimes unintentionally. Simply because they know your past. They know your mistakes. And they're just like, ah, at least she's going to church now. That's good enough. But now you want to preaching. No. <laughs> Sometimes people will place a cap on you based on their traditional religious background. I remember, I think I was barely out of school. And I remember I was going and I was laying hands on people. And certain people I'm related to who knew me. When I was praying for a particular person, this is a young boy, maybe I was 20, 19, and I laid hands on someone who had cancer. And I remember I was laying hands on this person and so on. And I remember this person then saying, hey, not in a bad way, but like, and my home name is Tendai. And so, hey, I'm translating now from my mother tongue. Tendai, Tendai shocked me, hey. 
Your today was doing laying on of hands. <laughs> because they came from a traditional church where it's, it's really like laying on of hands. It's a major sacrament, you know, that the priests do. And the big guys, you know what I'm saying? So I was just like, okay, let's pray. Let's do this thing. And she was like, yay, that was another level. Sometimes people will place caps on you based on their own ignorance of God's word. Amen? How many of you know that we have a priesthood of believers? We have a priesthood of believers. It's not just pastors that can do communion. It's not just pastors that can lay hands on the sick. Some of you, even though you've been in this church for some time, you still have a mental block when it comes to that. It's a cap that you've placed on yourself now. No one has placed it on you. No one ever said to you, no, you can't go to a hospital and pray for the sick. We didn't say that, but it's a cap you've placed on yourself. Amen? They're caps that we place on ourselves. You know that today I'm being thanked by people who've stepped into business as a result of prophetic words they've received in some of our sessions here. And today they're saying, we've started the business and we're a month down the line. I'm talking about people here. I'm talking about people in the Pretoria East Church, people around in different places. And I would have forgotten about it. But these are people who took on that word and they said, we're going to run with this. We are called to it. And they've now started up. One person has been going for about a month or so. And they'll come back because there's that recognition that this thing did not come from just myself. So question, do you know what you carry? I know what I carry. I'm, I'm going to keep praying that God shows me the fullness of what I carry. One of the things I carry, which you can benefit from, amen. One of the things I carry is whenever I go places and I'm doing things, entrepreneurship is birthed in people. I know that when I go to particular businesses, nowadays I'm just in a mode of praying for those businesses. Yeah, cool, cool, let's pray, let's release God's glory. Just the other day, I had to do something at the home affairs in Mabupani. You all know Mabupani, right? That's uh, Soshanguve way, out that way, north, beyond Pretoria North. So I get to the home affairs there, and they had done such an excellent job. It was my third time there. The things, thing we needed was processed very quickly. I went with two books. I wanted to bless one of the people who had helped us. I went with two of my books. I said, oh, you write books and so on. And she says, we're not allowed to receive gifts here. Obviously, corruption and things like that. And she says, I have to speak to my supervisor. So she was a person of integrity. I was like, okay, I was giving her posts, the thing, you know, just to bless her and so on. Then I go and I speak to the supervisor. And we're all there. There are a few of us in this room. And I say, I'm also a pastor, etc. Something rose up in me and I just said, can I pray for you guys? The one lady, her hands were up like this and so on. We prayed, released the glory of God in that particular place. Gave them the books and so on. On my way back to St. Chiron, I get a phone call from that supervisor. And she's saying, they, uh, how, do you sell your books? There are more people here. There's some of the officers, they want your books. on." said, give me the numbers. Give me the list of numbers and we'll see what will happen. So I know that the thing on me that I carry is for organizations. It's for institutions. It's for businesses. I'll go in. In there and I have to leave a deposit because I know what's inside of me what do you carry that's for the world amen and how often are you leaving that deposit do you know what you're stewarding when you don't know what you're stewarding you don't deposit it amen I know with myself when people get close to me it's very difficult for themselves to stay in a normal job they all want to just start businesses that's just one of the things and I've seen it now I got ordained in 2000 okay we're now 2017 I've seen it throughout my life as a, as a, as a pastor 
Amen? So you can benefit from that or you cannot. That's just, that's one of the things I carry. My question to you is what do you carry? And are the people around you benefiting from it? Number four, you're responsible to stir up your gifts. You're responsible to do what? You are responsible to stir up your gifts. Please say that to the person next to you. In verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of, of my hands. I find that very interesting that Paul could say that boldly. So we see that there are certain gifts that come upon you through the laying on of hands. There are the gifts that come upon you generationally through mentorship. That's why sometimes you get gifted in a particular way by association with certain people who are gifted in that way. You see, impartation happens in different ways. Impartation can happen through mentorship, rubbing shoulders with certain people, Impartation can also happen through the laying on of hands. As the weeks go by, I'll show you the different ways in which impartation happens. Now my question to you is, how much faith do you have when we pray for people at the end of services or at Ignite? How much faith do you have that that particular thing will be deposited into you? Because Paul here says, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Meaning that when he laid hands on him, there was a gift that was not there before, but was there after the laying on of hands. Amen? It doesn't matter how much Timothy might have thought to himself, ah, but I'm sure this is me. There are certain things that will only happen in your life in terms of certain gifts of God. Not all of them. Certain gifts of God after the laying on of hands. I still remember about 17 years ago, a particular prophet was in the particular town I was, I was in. And she came. And at a certain point, she basically said, I'm now releasing the power gifts. And she said, gifts of healings, working of miracles, gift of faith, releasing. There it is. As soon as she said, there it is, I thank God that I felt it physically in me. It was like this big stone, this lead. Literally, I felt it. And from time to time, God has had to remind me of that impartation so that I can step out in boldness saying, God, I felt it tangibly coming into me. It wasn't there before, but it was released. And if you look elsewhere in scripture, Paul will talk about Timothy and will talk about the gift that was imparted to him through the word of prophecy when the elders laid hands on him. That's separately now. Amen? Gifts can be imparted through a prophetic word. But how many of you know that it's important to receive it? So some of you recently, we've spoken over your lives. We've said there's this prophetic dimension in you. And some of you have taken a hold of it and you want to learn about it. You want to grow in it. Others we've prophesied over and you've got a cap. And you're like, me? No, I've heard the pastor prophesying like that over other people. Maybe he's just flowing. Maybe that's the one he likes. Amen? No, that's the one that is in us. And so obviously we impart that a lot. 
Amen? We can't impart what's not in us. We can't just impart what's not in us. Some of you might get that later. <laughs> you only impart that which you have. So you're responsible to stir up your gifts. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Who has to do the fanning into flame? Yourself. You can't just be like, ah, fan into flame for me, pastor. Fan into flame. You are responsible to stir up the gift of God that is in you. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some of you don't believe you are gifted in a particular area because you haven't fanned it into flame. So it's not that visible. The deposit is there, but you haven't fanned it into flame, so you actually don't think it's there. Then others of you, you are so naturally gifted at this particular thing that it's become what we call a positive blind spot. You know what a positive blind spot is? A negative blind spot is what we typically call a blind spot. It's where you think you're amazing and everyone looks at you and is like, girl, you ain't all that. <laughs> and a lot of people struggle with that, even in the church. Okay? A positive blind spot is where you think you're average because you do the thing unconsciously. You're not even conscious of when you're doing it. And people have to come to you and say, we were so blessed, thank you. <laughs> you really touched my life. And you're like, I didn't even feel anything. I was just doing it. <laughs> or people come to you and say, how do you do it? It's like, thank you for the big sacrifice you made. Meanwhile, you know you just winged it. Do you know why you just winged it? You were supernaturally endowed to do it. So it comes with ease. Amen? Amen. It comes with ease. Where other people, when they have to do it, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's massive strain. And they're always stressed out because they're trying to do what they haven't been graced to do. Isn't that liberating? For me, it's liberating. I'm like, God, if you've called me to do A, B, C, D, you've got to give me the tools. You gotta give me the tools. Now instead of coveting tools based on something you weren't called to do, just look at yourself and say, well, what are the tools he's given me? What are the gifts he's given me? And focus on those, even if they're not admired by the people around you. It's actually one of the things that hinders the anointing in our lives. It's envy and coveting other people's grace. Now, there's an interesting principle we see just from verse six, quite a number of them. Timothy needed to be reminded of this fact because it's easy to forget about your gift. And that's why Paul had to remind him. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift because he had forgotten. Okay. You see, life is a bit like a 24 speed bike, you know, 24 speed racing bike, road bike. Life is a bit like that. Very often you don't use all the gears. Amen. Very often you don't use what? Often you don't use all the gears. How many of you have got a vehicle where you use all the gears all the time? No. There's certain gears, especially if you've got a vehicle that's got eight gears. When are you ever in gear eight? How many of you in that situation? Okay. When you've got a car that's got eight gears, when do you ever go into eight, gear number eight? It's very light, isn't it? How many feel that when it comes to the gift and calling in your life, you need to use all gears if you want to maximize on your calling? 
And some of you are in gear three, but God is looking and he's saying, you know what? There are actually a whole lot of other gears. Tap into them. God is looking and saying, you've got five other gears that you never use. So you're always just in gear three. I'm bent out, pastor, I'm bent out. Because you're always on gear three. And God is saying, tap into four, tap into five, tap into six, tap into seven, tap into eight. There's a particular guy I was reading in a particular book. He tells a story of how he was doing this relay. You know these endurance races. He was doing this relay, but an endurance one. And then he sees a guy who's doing the same race, but by himself. And this guy was a seal. You know those seals? You know, in the States, they have the seals, right? And, this, and he says, can you come, can you move in with us, and can you train me? Can you just literally push me? And this, guy, this, this seal was like a machine. He was like a machine. And one of the things the seal said to him, he says, you can't use my name. Just call me seal, right? And what was interesting was the seal guy said to him that sometimes when you think you're only up, you're, when you think you're done, when you think I'm finished, I can't do any more, your body can still do another 60%. Your body is still at 40% and you're thinking I've, I'm done. And some of you are like that with your calling. You think I'm maxed out. You think, sure, God has used me so powerfully. But from God's perspective, he can see way more. Please say to the person next to you, God can see way more. You see, and, and, and what happens is, let me just ask you this. Let me just ask you this. What can't you change in your life? There's certain things you actually can't change, but there's a whole lot you can change. What can't you change? can't typically change your genetic makeup, right? You can't typically change things like your eye color. Okay, you can wear colored contact lenses and so on, but you can't change your eye color. You can't typically change your height. You know, if you're short, you're short. If you're tall, you're tall. Yeah. Those aren't things you can change. You can't really change your, your age. That's why someone can be better than you at everything else, but if you're older than me, like, you'll never catch up in terms of this department, okay? <laughs> you can't change your place of birth. You can't really change your family members. That person is your brother. They can end up in prison, in jail, whatever. They're your brother. They came out of that same womb as your mom, okay? So let's, let's just put aside the things we can't change, and let's focus on what we can maximize on. And how many of you know that you can maximize on your gifting? You can maximize on your gifting. How many of you know that you can maximize on your capacity? My question is, do you have the capacity to contain that which God wants to pour into you right now? Some of you have got mental caps. You know, there was a particular boy, he was fishing. He was fishing, and he was quite good at fishing, quite good at fishing, quite good at fishing. And this old man came and saw him doing something interesting. This old man comes up to him and sees that he's caught this whopper, this massive, huge bass. You know how big bass are, right? He's caught it. Then he sees him taking it off the hook and throwing it back into the water. And he's like, but that was massive. Why are you throwing it back into the water? And the little boy says, I've only got a nine-inch frying pan. <laughs> you see, some of you, God has called to greatness. God has called you to do great things, but you, you don't have the capacity to contain his glory. 
My question to you is, do you have the character to contain that which God wants to do? Do you have the, char the character to contain the glory of God and the anointing in your life? You see, God has given you a message, but he also works with the man. He also works with the woman. He works with your character so that the anointing doesn't destroy you. Amen? How many of you see yourselves as successful? You kind of, you, your identity, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm successful, I've done fine, guys. How many of you in the room? Okay, the oldest sepal. Okay, a few tabs. Okay, tabs. Harvey. Just the three of you. Okay. <laughs> the rest are thinking, if I put my hand up, I dare not put my hand up because people will say to me, girl, you ain't all that. <laughs> okay. So, those of you who see yourselves as successful, the three or four of you who raised your hand, what happens if I tell you that you're ac you actually have 60% more in your tank? That's the mindset, isn't it? You've got 60% more. Even if I say to you, you've got 40% more or 20% more. Often we have caps. Number five, we also saw the principle that gifts can be imparted through the laying on of hands. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. My question to you this morning is, are you open to this or are you too proud? You know, some people have traveled distances just to actually have hands laid on them, believing in faith that something, they'll receive something from God. Their faith isn't in that person laying on their hands. Their faith is in God, who's the giver of all good gifts. Amen? Are you too proud? Do you acknowledge that some things that are in you right now were imparted? How many of you can raise your hand and say, some of the things that are in me, Paul, I recognize that these things were imparted. How many of you can raise your hand and say that? They were imparted. Amen. It keeps us humble, doesn't it? All right. My question is, how much faith do you have when we lay hands for impartation? How much faith do you have? Do you really believe that your life will be different? That everything will change? Number six, there are things that hinder the gifts of God in us. There are things that do what? There are things that hinder the gift of God in us. Because in verse 7 he says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. What are the things that will hinder the gift of God in your life? These are the enemies. These are the gift killers. Passivity. He says, he's given us power. Amen? Not timidity. Passivity. If you're passive, if you don't have that spiritual aggression that says, I'm going to fan into flame this gift. I'm going to exercise it. I might not have the opportunity to exercise it before crowds, but while I'm learning, I will exercise it when I have opportunities at home. Opportunities in my family. I will exercise it. Amen? Passivity will hinder you. The next thing that will hinder you is timidity. 
Come on, this is based on the scripture. God's spirit doesn't make us timid. So when you are timid, whenever you are timid, it's not from the spirit of God. It's from something else. Amen? Being ashamed of the gospel is a hindrance. The Bible here says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord Jesus. If you're ashamed of the gospel, it will hinder your gift. The covenant I have with the Lord is, it doesn't matter what the forum is, I'll tell people I'm a pastor. So that I'm not ashamed of what he's called me to. Amen? Amen? And you understand you can be called to different things, but sometimes generically what people understand is when you say pastor. Does that make sense? Alright? And I'll do it, I'm not ashamed. When I prayed for the people releasing God's presence there at that home affairs, there was no ounce of fear in me. It was just, this is what needs to be done. It's happening. Boom. It happened. And I'm going to know that the grace of God will flow through you mightily when you're not ashamed. Why? Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and of my teaching, I'll be ashamed of you in my Father's glory, in the glory of His splendor. But he who is not ashamed, I will not be ashamed. Do you know what I believe it's speaking of? angelic resources heaven's resources are made available to you when you are bold and you're not ashamed of the gospel some of you in your family settings in your work settings you're ashamed of the gospel i'm not talking about blind zeal i'm not talking about being foolish amen but don't con yourself search your heart and say is there the fear of man in me right money or the lack thereof is often a hindrance to our calling Money or the lack thereof is often a hindrance to our calling. Yeah, but will there be money there? When you pastor people, when you coach people, when you counsel people, you see that a lot of decisions, there's always this money trail. Yeah, so now we're doing this because the money is better. But is it better? The money might be better, but it might not be better. Amen? Laziness. Sometimes it's pure laziness that hinders the gifts of God in you. Comparison. You're constantly coveting someone else's gift. So there's no time and no room and no grace available for your gift to be fanned into flame. Because you're always wanting to fan into flame something God hasn't even deposited in you. How does that work? Unbelief. Never me, not people like me. I've sinned. God is out to punish me. Remember we said in week one, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's what scripture tells us in the book of Romans. In other words, he doesn't change his mind concerning them. Doesn't matter if you've messed up. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Another one is procrastination. I know, yeah. No, when we're settled... I know, yeah, when my kids are a bit older, ah, then, yeah, mm-hmm. I know when I've finished my studies, yeah, then, pastor, yeah, then you'll see me, ah, praying for the sick, healing the sick, yeah, because I know God has called me. Hey, he's been calling me for some time, yeah, but what? That's what the enemy does. Procrastination. There'll always be a perfect time, one day. I want to encourage you, get into the right place, right time, now. Simple as that. If God has called you, and he's given you an assignment. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm not saying you launch out, but come up with a plan that now is my season to read up on that thing. 
There are a number of people who are reading on the prophetic right now because they feel called to that. But they've said to me, you know what, but I need to just learn about it first. Cool. At least you're doing something about it. But don't spend 20 years just saying, I'm just reading. I'm just reading. It's one thing to function prophetically and build up people. It's another thing to read about it. Amen? Sometimes we corner ourselves thinking we're functioning something because we read up on it so much. So it's there in our minds all the time. Uh-uh. Amen? Limited exposure that can hinder the gifts. You see, when you have limited exposure, you aim low. Some of you, when it comes to the gifts and calling in your life, you're aiming low. You're aiming low. There's a particular lady who I had to coach and I realized that she had a fear of freedom. I was coaching her, asking her coaching questions and I came to a point of realizing that she actually had a fear of freedom. She was in a space in her life where she had now come to some money and she said, for the first time, Paul, in my life, I'm in a space where all my money isn't going to servicing debt and so on. I can actually say to myself, oh, I want to do something to my house and I can do it. Oh, I want to repaint this and I can do it. But she was struggling to make certain life decisions and we boiled down to the fact that she was afraid of freedom. You see, sometimes we, our minds have been programmed to more readily accept failure than success. And it will hinder you in the call of God in your life. Because you're aiming too low. Lack of focus. Lack of focus. If you're trying to chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. If you're trying to chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. Sometimes you can chase two, but try and chase three or four. And some of you have no focus. Just receive that. Some of you are not focused, so you're not devoted to a particular thing. And so you never grow and develop that thing because you're trying to do everything all at once. One of the things to understand about ministry gifts and callings is that in our lives, our lives often operate based on seasons. Amen? If you've got so many things you want to do in this life, ask yourself, God, now, this year, what's the thing for me in this season of my life? And then you build on that. Amen? We also see, number seven, that there are things that stir up the gifts of God in us. Relying on his power. We're told we've been given a spirit of power. Walking in love. Love. And a sound mind. You know that word there, sound mind? It speaks of safe thinking. It literally means safe thinking. Thinking aright, not stinking thinking. Those things will help us. If you rely on God's power, if you walk in love, and if you maintain safe thinking, it will help you. Amen? Amen. I like this scripture. It says, rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. I want to close with this point today. God has not just saved you for what you are called to. You're also called to a particular lifestyle. You're also called to what? A particular lifestyle. Your lifestyle has to match your calling. Your lifestyle has to do what? It has to match your calling. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul the Apostle says, 
Brethren, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. If you are called to be a kingdom entrepreneur, guess what's going to happen? There's certain tests you have to go through. Very often one of those tests is tests to do with faith. Very often one of those tests you go through is God will want to build up your faith through what you go through where sometimes there's nothing, there's no cash. And during that time, it's a time to believe God because you end up having a revelation of Jehovah Jireh because in the past you just saw your source, not as Jehovah Jireh, but your source as your boss. How many of you know that if you're called to be a prophet, very often you'll go through the test of rejection so that the fear of man is not in you and when you have to deliver God's word, it comes in purity and you're not doctoring God's word because you want people to clap for you. Amen? So ask yourself this morning, what is the lifestyle I'm called to? It says a holy life. That word holy in the Greek is the word hagios, which means to be set apart. So there's certain things because of what I'm called to do. There's certain things that aren't wrong in and of themselves to do, but I'm set apart for this calling. So the standards are higher. Amen? While other people might just give their tithes and their offerings, if you're called to be a kingdom financier, the standards are higher. And the grace is made available for that. Amen? I can't say I'm a teacher of the word and just read the Bible like it's a novel. Other Christians can get away with that, but because of what God has called me to, the lifestyle is different. Amen. Does your lifestyle right now match your calling? You can't say, oh, I'm called to be a great prophet, a great watchman, but you never pray. Or you love your sleep too much that if God wakes you up in the middle of the night, you can't get up. Amen? Not every single Christian might have the grace for that, but you have. It's available if you're called to that. Amen? I'm going to carry on next week. Let's pray. We've been set apart.